Praise the Lord. Hey, it's good to be here this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, I've got a word for you this morning. And there's something that I feel like the Lord wants us to catch. I, let's start here. Let's go to first, 2 Kings chapter 4. And let me just say a word of prayer while you're turning there, while you're finding that. Lord God, we just thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit just coming and speaking and ministering to us this morning. Uh, Lord, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts and ears to receive this word. Amen? Amen. Um, hey, just, just real quick, I want to share this story with you. I read this um, a couple weeks ago. I think it was in the Reader's Digest. Maybe you saw this article. And it just something about it resonated with me. Uh, there was this woman that was hiking up in the mountains. She was up in, in Maine. I think it's Mount Washington that's up there. She was hiking up this mountain, and uh, it was wintertime. And she knew it was a dangerous time to go hiking, but she was prepared. She had everything she needed for the winter weather, and they predicted that morning there was going to be a big storm coming through, but she wanted to go hiking anyway. So she started hiking up this mountain, and as she's hiking, the weather's getting worse and worse. The higher the elevation, the worse the weather gets. The snow starts blowing. And as she, as she sees the snow falling on the ground, she notices she's following some footprints. And she sees the footprints are, are not what you should be wearing in the winter in the mountains. In Maine, it's tennis shoes. And she thinks, oh, someone's going to have some trouble now. And she keeps hiking up. And the higher, the higher she gets, the more the snow is coming down. Pretty soon, she's going through some deep snow. And she still sees those tennis shoes. And she thinks, what, is the, what, is the, what are they doing walking up here in the snow? And the weather got so bad, she thought, I need to turn around. But she was worried about the person in the tennis shoes. And she kept walking up there. And she noticed the, the footprints. After a while, they veered off the trail. And she thought, oh, no, they're in big trouble now. They went off, off, the, off the side here. And so she went down and she starts hollering, does anybody need help? Are you okay? And she gets down a little further and she sees a man in the snow sitting next to some rocks and he's, he's got the tennis shoes on, but he's also wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And she says, are you okay? What's, why are you up here in shorts and a t-shirt? Are you all right? And he can't respond. He's, he's, he's leaving this earth quickly. He's dying. And she quickly goes over to him. She, she has some supplies in her in her bag, and she wraps him up, and she gets some hot liquid into him, and she tries to revive him. And the whole time she's thinking, what was he doing up here? Didn't he know it was going to be this bad? Why didn't he prepare for the weather? And there's more to the story, but maybe I'll share that with you in a little bit if I have time. I want you to look at 2 Kings chapter 4. And there's a story here about a woman and she might feel like this situation up on the mountains, she didn't know life was going to be this bad. She didn't know things were going to turn out the way they did. She had no idea. She wasn't prepared for what was coming. And look at the story. It says, one of, this, one of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, has died. You know your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor is coming to take my two children as, her, as his slaves. And I want you to catch this this morning because this woman was in a situation 
where she didn't, she didn't see it coming. She wasn't prepared. And what I just really feel the Lord saying to us this morning is, you got to recognize you're ready for anything this world can throw at you. You have everything you need. We heard that this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. You have all things. God's given you all things you need for life and godliness. There is nothing this world can throw at you that you are unprepared for. But you know what? A lot of us feel like that guy up on the mountain. We've been hiking up on the mountain and things are great. We're up on the mountaintop with Jesus and then the storm comes. And we think, man, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. I, didn't, I thought once I gave my life to Jesus, everything was going to be roses. And why is, this, why is this storm coming? And we don't recognize who we are. We don't recognize what we have. See, you have everything you need to face whatever storm comes against you. But you've got to learn to see. Here's, here's a lot of people's problems. They say, I, I just don't feel like I have I just don't feel like I have anything to give. I just don't feel like I have, uh, like I have much. I just don't feel, and we live, I heard that in that song too. We live by how we feel. I just don't feel saved today. How do you feel saved? You tell me. How do you feel saved? I just don't feel, I, you know, I, I went to this church and I just didn't feel anything. So what? What are you trying to feel? You don't live by how you feel. You live by what the word of God says. Amen. See, most people don't know what they have. They don't recognize. See, if a person's hiking up on the mountain and they have all the supplies they need in their backpack, they don't worry if they can feel it in there. I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have, you know, the, the right clothing in my backpack. It doesn't matter if you can feel it. You got it. You got to use it when the time comes. But too many people, they're hooked on feelings. The song about that, wasn't there? Hooked on a feeling. That's how the world, see, the world lives by how they feel. The world lives by how they feel. You know who else lives by how they feel? My three-year-old lives by how he feels. Oh, my goodness. When he's up, he's up, and everybody's happy. And when he's down, everybody's down, because he'll make sure you're down. He'll make sure you're miserable, because he feels miserable, and he lives by how he feels. That's how the world lives. It's immature. But you don't live like that. See, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you have, when you have Jesus living inside of you, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you, you don't have to worry about how you feel because now you're not ruled by your feelings. You rule your feelings. Are you with me? And so this morning... I just I want to share with you this word, and it's about what you have. And I spoke a while back about your anointing, and I want to kind of do a, a part two to that, your anointing. I want to talk about now, and I'm not going to take the time to go into all of it. You'll have to go back and find the message if you want to. If this is totally confusing to you, I'm sorry, but I'm doing part two. So if you're new here, I'm, I apologize. But you are anointed, Amen. You have an anointing upon your life. And I want you to see this story again for a second because this woman is going through a hard situation here. She said, she said to Elisha, my husband's died and he was one of the sons of the prophet. That meant he was being trained in the prophetic. He probably had to leave his home. He probably had to leave his work and go to this 
place to be trained in the prophetic. And, and he might not have had the money to do that. And so now he had to borrow some money, which he shouldn't have done because he should have followed the principles in the word of God in the first place. But somehow he wound up borrowing some money and he got himself in trouble. And now he died. And she said, look, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. Somebody's going to take and make my son slaves because we can't pay our bills. And I just didn't know. And she's so focused on the problem, she doesn't even see what she has. And here's what Elisha says to her. He says, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. That's all she's got. She thought she was in bad shape. She said, I don't have anything to give. I've just got a little jar of oil. That's all I've, there's nothing in my house. I've sold everything else in my house. All I have is a jar of oil. That's all she needed. I'm, I'll, we'll look at the rest of the story here in a minute, but she had all she needed. Look, in the Old Testament, the oil represents someone. It represents the Holy Spirit. See, when you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you've got all you need. You might be facing something. You got to not look at the thing you're facing. You got to look at who you got inside you because you've got someone in you who's greater than whatever you're facing in the world. There's nothing the world can throw at you that can stand against you. There's nothing the enemy can bring up in your face that can oppose you, that can stand against you. That, see, you're victorious whether you feel like it or not when you've got the Holy Spirit in you. Are you with me? See, all I got is a little bit of oil. No, you got all you need. We spoke last time out of Luke chapter four, and let's just go there first. I didn't even give you guys this one, but let's just look at it real quick. Jesus shares about his anointing. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Somebody say anointed. anointed. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. We talked about all this last time. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Somebody say favor. favor. Jonathan Edwards spoke about that, didn't he, if you were here for that, about the favor of God on your life. And the favor, listen, the favor of God can, can any, there's nothing that can come against you when God's favor is on you. The favor of God, and I think he talked about four specific things, protection and provision. Somebody help me. Pre the presence of God and the, and the power. Was that the fourth one? Okay, there you go. Purpose. Ah, somebody was paying attention. That's what it was. Purpose. Power is good too. But you've got, you've got everything you need when you've got the favor of God on you. And here's what Jesus said. He was anointed to speak favor. He was anointed to proclaim the favor of God has come. You've got an anointing on you. And here's what it is. I'm, and I want to talk a little bit more about this. See, when, when people were anointed in the Old Testament, who did they anoint? They anointed not just everybody. They weren't just picking people out like, hey, you're a shepherd. Let's anoint you. Hey, you're this. Let's anoint you. No, there was, there was two specific people that I can find in the, in the Old Testament that were anointed. The priest and the king, right? The priests were anointed. Remember the story? Aaron's anointed. The oil's running down. It's dripping on his on his beard, it's dripping on his clothes, it's dripping on his feet. He's walking in the anointing. Remember the story of David, and there's other kings as well, but David comes and he's anointed by Samuel to be the king. And that oil's running all over him. He has an anointing. See, listen, the anointing 
is connected to your position and authority. Your anointing, so listen this morning, and we spoke, I think, out of 1 John chapter 2 last time that you have an anointing. You have an anointing, and your anointing is connected to your position and your authority. Because that's how it was with the king and with the priest. The anointing had to do with their, their job, their function, their role. Your anointing has to do with your authority and your position. Amen? And Jesus said his anointing was to proclaim, was to speak favor of God. He was anointed as he was a prophet, priest, king, whatever you want. He was anointed to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so this morning, here's what I got to ask, just like Elisha asked that woman, what do you have? You might be going through something today. You might be going through a situation. You might be facing something, but I got to ask you, what do you got inside you? What do you got in your house? Because if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, there's nothing. Come on, there's, I'm in my preaching to myself. Come on, you're, when you got the Holy Spirit in you, there's nothing you can face. There's nothing the enemy can throw against you that can stand against you because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. What's in your house today? Listen, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you got all you need. If you're not, we're going to pray for you, okay, afterward. I'm serious. We'll pray, no, in a good way. We're going to pray for you because you need this. But you, you have an anointing on your life. You have an anointing on your life. Now it's up to you to walk in it. I want you to go here. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and I think Pastor Kim spoke out of this scripture recently. I want to bring it back up again. Because the Lord was, he was speaking to me about this role of your anointing and what it does for you. So I want you to look at this with me. Romans 5, and let's, I gave you 17, let's start at 15. The gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass, and he's talking about Adam, Adam's sin, how much more for, sorry, by one man's trespass, many died. How much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed? I want you to catch that word, say overflow. It overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not like one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. So now look at verse 17. Since by one man's trespass, death reigned. Through that one man. Did you know death reigned? Death used to reign. Death used to be in charge. Death, people were scared of death. Because death, bad to die, it's scary. It's not, listen, I want you to hear this. Death is not natural. Because it was never what God intended. God never intended death when he created this world. Death came into the world because of sin. But death is not natural. That's why we have such a, bad feeling toward it. It's not just that even that, our, that life is over, it's that it's, a, some, it's something inside of us that says this isn't natural, this isn't right. It's, it's, it's not the way God intended things. And so here, death used to reign, but when Jesus came, when Jesus came, death no longer reigns, amen? Here's what he says. Death reigned through one man, but how much more will those who receive 
the overflow of grace. Catch that word again. Over, you've got an overflow of grace on your life. The overflow of grace. That's the favor of God and so much more. The overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness. Are you with me so far? The overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness through one man, Jesus Christ, makes you able to do something. It makes you able to reign in life. Now, you may not hear this preaching in a lot of churches. And and here's the reason is because religion doesn't want to lift you up. Religion wants to keep you down. Jesus came to lift you up. Okay? Religion tries to keep you down. But this is what the Word of God says. The overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness makes you able to reign in life. You can, listen, what does it mean to reign? I got to ask this question. What does it mean to reign? I had to look the word up because I I couldn't think of a good definition. Here's what um, Noah Webster says back in 18-something. I don't know when he lived. I'm making up a number. 1853. um, He's probably older than that, isn't he? 17 something. You pick a number. Here's what he said. To reign means to possess or exercise sovereign power or authority. Ooh, I like that. You, You possess something. You possess sovereign power and authority. In life, you have authority. See, look, there's nothing that the enemy can throw against you that you don't have authority over because of Jesus. This isn't exalting you. It's exalting Jesus because of what Jesus did for us. We can reign in life. You know what that means? That means I don't have to be under. I don't have to be under the weather. I don't have to be under what people say about me. I don't have to be under the enemy. I'm not under the enemy's feet. He's under my feet because of what Jesus has done for me. You're not under, you're over. See, your anointing has to do with your position. Because Because of what Jesus has done for you, he seated you in heavenly places. He made you to sit with him. Isn't that good? Listen, I've said this before. i got to say it again. What does it mean to be seated with Christ in heavenly places like it talks about in Ephesians? That has to do with your position. See, when you came into the presence of a king, if you went before the queen of England, you wouldn't come in and sit down in the chair next to her and say, how are you today, queen? Very nice. Could you bring some tea in for us, please? You wouldn't do that. It would be, it would be uh, presumptuous. She would cut your head off if she wanted to. I don't know if she can still do that, but if she wants to do it, she's the queen, she's in charge, you don't come in and sit down next to her. But with Jesus, he made you able to come in and sit down with him. He made you, he made you a joint heir. You're part of the royal family. You're reigning in life. That ha- that's your authority. See, look, there's nothing the enemy can do to keep you down. But so many Christians, they don't recognize what they have. So because they don't know they have authority, because they don't know they have an anointing, they're walking around defeated. They're walking around depressed. They're walking around beat up. Oh, the devil's been after me. Got me again yesterday. Oh, you're not going to believe it. Pray that that devil would stay away from me. No, you just tell him to go. 
You've got authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and that includes the devil. I heard this story. I think it was, um, oh, what's his name? Joel Hitchcock told this story, and he said he was praying for somebody in, in Africa. And, um, he, you know, she said in, in, in Africa, demons manifest, well, they manifest here too, but they, they manifest in, in more visible ways, it seems like, in Africa. And this woman said, she came to the meeting, she got saved. She said, but, but pray for me because, because every night for years I would go to sleep and I would hear footsteps on the roof. And then something would come down through the chimney. I couldn't see it, but I could feel its presence come into the room and it would begin to attack me and beat me and, and leave me um, bite marks on my, on my body and, and bleeding. And it was, a, it was a horrible thing. And she said, every single night it would happen for years. And Joel said, well, now you have the Holy Spirit in you. And when and you, you've been saved, you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. And ex he explained all this to her salvation. And he said, tonight, if you hear those footsteps, he said, I want you to point at the ceiling and say, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. And she went home and, and she came back the next night and told Joel what happened. She said, you won't, you won't believe what happened. I was in bed and I started to hear those footsteps on the roof. You know, and he, he does the, you probably heard him do it. He does this. And she said, I heard the footsteps and they were coming towards the, the chimney. And I, I, I got so scared. I just sat in my bed. I said, devil, the blood of Jesus is against you. But the footsteps kept coming. And so I said it a little bit louder. I said, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. And she said, the footsteps stopped. But I could tell he was still standing on the roof. I didn't know what to do, so I stood up and I began to shout. She said, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. And she said, those footsteps turned around and ran off the roof as fast as they could. And, and listen, what, what was he doing? He was teaching her about her authority. You're not under the devil. He didn't say, well, God bless you, sister. You let that devil bite you. And one day when you get to heaven, he'll got, he's got to leave you alone. No, you've got authority over serpents and scorpions. Come on. Start living like it. I want to talk about this for a minute. This, I made some baby cry. I'm sorry. I do that. I've got a gift for that. Shoot. Yeah. Um, you've got an overflow of grace. I want to talk about this overflow of grace for a minute. See, because it's the overflow. He says two things that allow you to reign in life. It's the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness. The overflow of grace. Think about it. You don't have just enough grace to get by. Okay? Jesus came. Jesus was full of grace and truth. You, you're, not, you're not just got enough grace to get by because that's not good. You got an overflow. See, it's flowing out of him, and it's flowing to you, and it's not supposed to stop with you. It's supposed to flow into you, through you, out of you. An overflow See, look, when a, when a king, a king when, a, when he reigns, he has authority to do, some, to do some things, right? When he speaks, he doesn't have to worry, is this going to work? He speaks it, and he just believes it's going to happen. Your anointing is flowing out of your mouth. It's an overflow of grace. Is this making sense? You've got to proclaim. You've got to proclaim some things out of your mouth like a king would speak. And start declaring favor of God. Jesus said, now listen, Jesus said that he's come, his part of his anointing was to proclaim 
the year of the Lord's favor. Some Christians like to proclaim the year of the Lord's judgment. Oh, you're going to be judged, brother. That guy's going to be judged. I heard somebody say this. I was in line at a grocery store one time, and I heard some people talking in front of me, and this guy was telling about something that had happened, and this woman just said, there's a special place in hell for those people. I thought, wow, you know, where's where's the love? Where's the favor? You are anointed not to speak judgment, but to speak favor of God. That means when you're, when you're driving through your neighborhood and things don't look like the kingdom of God, you can start declaring the favor of God over your neighborhood. When your family doesn't look like the kingdom of God, probably none of you in here, but you can, if that ever happens to you, you can start speaking the favor of God over your family. Hey, I declare the favor of God over you because the favor of God can turn anything around. Amen. Oh, boy. I want you to keep your finger here for a second. Go to 2 Peter. Oh, help me, Lord. I got a lot to say, guys. I don't know. I'll do my best. I told them to come up and start playing music at 11.45. Um, You guys do that, but I'll probably keep preaching while you do it. Um, 2 Peter 3, 18. He says this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Did you know you're supposed to grow in grace? You can, if it's available to you, would you like to? Grow in grace. It says this about Jesus in Luke 2, 52, I think it is. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew in favor with God. You tell me, you explain that. Jesus, who is God, grew in favor with God. You're supposed to be growing in favor like Jesus did. You have the favor of God on you, but you can have more. What does that mean? What does it mean? Why do I need more favor? So it can come out of you. Because if you got just enough to, to slide by, that's not good. It should be coming out of you so you can minister to other people. Because here's what the favor of God will do. The favor of God will turn situations around in your workplace. You don't have to go in and be like, oh man, this place is so terrible. I hate this place. Why is this place so terrible? No, you go in and turn it around. Because you've got the favor of God on you to do something about it. Right? You start using, start proclaiming just like Jesus. You start, you start using the anointing and the authority that you have to proclaim. Hey, I proclaim favor over this workplace. I don't care. You go in early in the morning. If you got a terrible workplace, you start going in early in the morning. You get there and you just start pro- proclaiming the favor of God all over that place. Go to that guy's desk who's the, you know, the, the one who's making you to whatever. And you, you get over there and, and you just, I just proclaim the favor of God over this guy. He's going to be blessed. God's going to just put his hand, your hand on his life. All that, just start speaking favor of God. And you watch that thing turn around because that's how this works. That's how this works. I don't go, go here again, real quick. Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews four. I want to talk about this for a minute. See, Jesus had favor of God on his life. He didn't just use it for himself, but he did use it. 
When he needed to pay his taxes, what did he do? He used the favor and said, hey, go, Peter, go catch a fish, and you'll find money in his mouth. That's the favor of God. That's not natural. That's the favor of God at work in his life. When he needed, he needed a ride, he said, hey, go borrow a donkey. He got a word of wisdom. He said, go borrow a donkey. And they might, they're going to ask you, What's, what are you stealing the donkey for? You say, no, no, we're taking it because Jesus needs it. And they'll say, okay, and let you go. That's how he got his donkey. Jesus had the favor of God on his life, but it wasn't just for him. When he was walking by one day and there was a funeral and there was a little boy who had died and he's, he's on the, the stretcher and they've got him carrying to bury in the ground or in the cave or whatever they were doing. They were walking with this boy and Jesus just walked by and he felt so bad for him, favor just flowed out of him. Healing flowed out of him. Touched that boy, he got right up. That's how Jesus lived. That's how you're supposed to live. Let the favor of God flow out of you, amen? So where was I? Hebrews 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. You know what God calls his throne? He calls it a throne of grace. The throne of grace. Grace has to do with favor. You've got a, a God who calls his throne favor. And how does he tell you to approach it? Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. And I'm going to talk about this in a second, but approach with boldness so we can receive mercy and find grace to help us. If you approach the throne of grace, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find grace. Is this connecting with anybody this morning? Is it? Okay. Come on. I feel, I feel like the Lord wants us to catch something. He wants us to catch the fact that we can have access to the favor and grace of God. For whatever we need, when we start walking in authority, we start walking in boldness, because he, he doesn't say, come before the throne of grace like a beggar in the presence of a king. Have you heard that filthy song? Sorry, Caleb, love it. Um, I'm just a beggar in the presence. There's a song. I know you probably haven't heard it. It's on K-Love. I'm just a, pe- a beggar in the presence of a king. What unredeemed unre- person wrote that? I'm a beggar. Is that what the word? Con- Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace like a beggar in the presence of the king. Is that what the word of God says about you? So why do we live like that? Why do we think like that? Because that's that religious mindset. Because the devil knows, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to be honest. The devil knows if he can keep you thinking you're a beggar, you'll never receive anything from God because he says, approach boldly. So if I can't do what the word of God says, how am I expected to receive? Now, God's merciful, but listen, you're not told to approach the throne of grace like a beggar. You're told to boldly approach the throne of grace. But how can I approach the throne of grace like, a, like boldly? Because I don't feel very, there's that word again. I don't feel very good. I don't feel very holy. I don't feel very righteous. This is where that righteousness comes in. You received grace and righteousness. Overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness. Those two guys work together. You can't have the overflow of grace without righteousness. And you can't have rights where righteousness is. You're going to find the overflow of grace. They work together. I was, 
Um, we used to live on this creek. It was, we were very fancy. Um, the Polecat Creek, some of you guys might know that place. Very fancy um, part of Randleman where we used to live. And uh, we, we had this creek in our backyard. It smelled like, you know, a polecat is a, is a skunky kind of animal. That's what, exactly what it smelled like. Um, but it was nice. We liked it. We had a little canoe there because the previous owner left his canoe. I think he couldn't wait to get out, and he left the canoe. And so we were, we were down there one day, and we, it was the first time we moved in, and we took this canoe out on the creek, and we were paddling down the creek, and we got down to, like, just, we didn't know what was down there, but we got down to where... Apparently, the creek looks like it just stopped. And we said, why does the creek, how does the creek just stop? And we get a little bit closer, and we see there's a waterfall. And we, we didn't know there was a waterfall, but you can hear it. And we, man, we were scared. We were back paddling as hard as you could. I, it was like, uh, man, it was terrifying. We thought we were going to go over the edge, and we found it later. We came back later. When the creek's down, you just see a wall. But when the creek's up, it goes over the top of the wall. And that, I looked down that wall, climbed up on that wall one day and looked over the edge. It's about 20 feet down. It's a scary little thing. Some, somebody looked like it back in the Civil War time. They built this wall. I don't know what for. But when the creek was up, it was overflowing. And when the creek was down, it was stopped. So you've got something available to you. It's called the overflow of grace. But a lot of Christians live like the creek levels down. And they're keeping it all, keeping it all. I, man, I want the grace of God. I want the favor of God. I want all this. I want all that. No, you, you know what that, that's for? It's to flow out of you. It's to flow out of you. It's to touch the people around you. When you go to a restaurant today and you get this server, man, you let that overflow of grace come through you. When you go to work tomorrow, you let that overflow of grace come through your mouth all over your workplace. Let it flow. It's, it's supposed to flow out of you. Otherwise, you're doing it wrong. It's got to be flowing out of you. Here's what he says. <laughs> it's 1145. 1 Peter 10. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. I know how you feel. Um, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the grace of God. You're a manager of the grace of God. You know, I don't know if you have a manager at work. You probably do. Maybe it's you. Sometimes people love managers. Sometimes they, a lot of times they don't. But you know what? They're important. I don't know if you've ever been in a workplace or seen some guys working where the manager goes to lunch and the guys are left working. How many of you know there's not a lot of work going on? The manager steps out what happens? Everybody's like, hey, let's just chill for a while. And they come back and the, man the manager comes, oh, we just started our break, you know? And uh, that's what happens sometimes when the manager's gone. But listen, you're, he calls you a manager. You're a manager of something. You're a manager of grace. That means it's your job to make sure grace gets where it's supposed to go. You got to make sure the grace of God gets where it's supposed to go. It's got to come through you to other people. Amen. Let me do this quick. Go back to Romans chapter 5 for a second. I'll try to wrap this thing up here. Romans 5. You received the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness. Somebody say gift. Are you still awake? Yeah. Gift. 
the gift of righteousness. See, a lot of people don't see themselves as righteous because they're looking at what they've done in their past. They're not looking at it as a gift. I've got the gift of righteousness. They think oh, I'm, just a, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a worm. They don't understand the gift. Because they don't understand righteousness, they're not able to reign in life. You're called to reign. It's your job to reign. But when you live in the past, you keep yourself a victim. I heard Bill Winston say, victims can't be victors. Victims can't be victors. When you're living in the past, when you're living in the things you did before, when you're living as a victim, you can't become victorious because you're not living in what God's done for you. See, it's, it's the righteousness that allows me to come boldly before the throne of grace. I can't come boldly if I'm still seeing myself as some old sinner. The sin consciousness won't let me come stand before God. I gotta come like a beggar because I've got a sin. Con- I'm aware of who I used to be instead of aware of what God's done for me. Amen. Beggars don't come boldly. Let me, give me one more minute. You guys can start playing, that's fine. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for doing what? Training in righteousness. Righteousness is a gift, but now you've got to be trained how to use it. You've got to be trained how to live righteous now that you are righteous. That's where this word of God comes in. The scripture will teach you how to live. The scripture will teach you how to be righteous. The scripture will tell you how to live a holy life. You know, sometimes this generation, I told our students the other day, I said, sometimes this generation, they say, well, you know, that such and such doesn't convict me. This certain sin doesn't convict me. Get in the word of God and it will. The reason it doesn't convict you is because you're not in the word and you're doing whatever you feel like doing. You get in the word and it's going to tell you how to live. Buster, uh, God's my judge. Right, that should scare you. Right? You got a heart problem. But you get in this word, it'll train you how to live. And training is a continual process. You know, some people say, well, I, I, I used to work out when I was in my 20s. Great, now you're in your 50s. You gotta keep doing it. It's not a, hey, I did it. No, I worked out last year. Good, you need it again this year. I did it last week. No, you need it this week. You gotta keep training. You gotta keep training. You keep in the word. You gotta keep training. I like sometimes people say, man, I wish I had the, the muscles that you know Dwayne Johnson has. You do, you got the same exact muscles. You just haven't trained them like he has. You've got the exact same muscles in your body. You've got to start using them. Look, you've got to get in this word, church. You've got to train yourself to do and live the way the word of God says. And stop doing things the way you think they should be done. What you think doesn't matter. It's what he thinks that matters. You've got to start living righteous. You've got, you got, you got to understand who he's made you to be, that he's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because when you understand that, you can walk in it. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. But you've got to keep going. Let me go back to, and let me close this out, 2 Kings chapter 4. Why don't you stand up with me? 
And let me share the rest of this story with you. I had a lot more to say, but it looks like you're done. 2 Kings 4. Here's what happens. He says, what do you have in your house? I've just got a little jar of oil. That's good. That's all she needed. What she had was all she needed. My point to you this morning, what you have is all you need. You've got to start using the authority that God's put inside you. You've got to start using the anointing that God's put inside you. So he says this. He says, go borrow. Go borrow empty containers from everybody, not uh, from all your neighbors. Don't just get a few. Now listen. What she, her blessing was going to be in proportion to what she borrowed. I believe, I firmly believe if she had borrowed one jar, she would have been able to fill up exactly one jar with that bottle and it'd, be, it'd run out and she would have not had enough. If she had borrowed five jars, she could have filled up five jars. It might have been just enough to slide by. But he said, go borrow jars. He didn't say how many. He just said, don't get a few. You get a bunch of jars. If she had got 100 jars, I believe she would have filled 100 jars. If she had got 200 jars, I believe she would have filled 200. If she had got 500 jars, I can believe that she could have filled 500 jars. Here's my thing. What you have inside you takes some faith to, to use. What, you, what the Holy Spirit has put inside you, this anointing, it's got to be coupled with faith. Because if the faith isn't there, you're just trying to do things on your own. If the faith isn't there, it, nothing's going to happen. You've got to step out in faith sometimes. And so she borrows some jars. He says, shut the door behind you and pour the oil on in the containers. And so she does it. After she shut the door, she fills the jars. And he says, now go sell the oil and pay your debt. Your sons can live on the rest. She had to use what she had been given by faith. And I'm going to stop there. Let me, let me have you just bow your heads for a moment. And I want to, as you're just in this, in this time of just hear from the Lord for a moment, hear what I have to say. I want to complete this story, this woman up on top of the mountain with this man in the shorts and the t-shirt. And she helps him up and she guides him down the mountain. He wants to stop at one point. He sits down. He says, just go, let me die. She says, no, come on. She pushes him, pushes him, pushes him all the way down the mountain until finally at the bottom he gets in his car and goes home and she thinks that's the end of it and then weeks later she receives a letter and what he says to her he explains what was happening he said my life was a mess it seemed hopeless I didn't see any way out and so I climbed up on top of that mountain you might have thought I was an idiot going up there in shorts and a t-shirt I, I didn't do it by accident I did it on purpose I wanted to go up and end my life and sit down and just die in the cold he said, as I was sitting there, losing consciousness, you came and you picked me up and you pushed me. And I even tried to stop you at one point. I said, no, just go, let me die. But you wouldn't let me stop. You wouldn't let me go. And you kept pushing me and pushing me down this mountain. And I realized as we were walking and as I got to the bottom, I realized that I mattered to somebody because my whole life I've thought I didn't matter. I thought my life didn't matter to anybody but I realized I mattered to somebody and you've changed my life and you saved me. And here's what I want you to hear this morning, church. You have a call upon your life. You have an anointing upon your life 
and God wants to use you to reach a, a world that's hurting, that's dying, that's, that thinks they don't matter because they've been told by the devil your life doesn't matter. I want you to know you have a high calling. You have authority to reign in life, but your authority is to be used to bless other people, to bring people into the kingdom of God. That's why God gave it to you. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you've been hearing this, this message about your anointing and all this, but you said, my life's not even right with Jesus. I don't even know Jesus as my savior if that's you this morning and you wanna make your life right, would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you right where you're at. Okay, thank you, Lord. If you need to do that, if you're watching on the video this morning, you just say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me my sins and make me a new person today. For the rest of us, you have an overflow of grace coming out of you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you, use what you have. Reach those around you. Show them that they matter. Lord, I just thank you for your people this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the high calling that you have upon their lives, that you've called them to reign in life. And Lord, I pray that you would just put your Holy Spirit in them in just a fresh way this morning. We thank you for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Ghost of fire. Lord, I thank you for your love to saturate each person. Lord, that their mouths would speak the favor of God over every situation they might be facing, over their workplaces, over their, their school, Lord, over, over their families, whatever it is, Lord God, we just thank you. The favor of God has come. We declare, we declare, we decree the favor of God has come over our lives. Let's worship the Lord. Let's sing this one, one time before.